great harlot. Um, the name is given Babylon. But understand, it is not so much the city of Babylon. It's not Babylon rebuilt as what was happening in Iraq at one time, the rebuilding of Babylon. And some of you may have heard about it, but it's not about the city per se. And, 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 I, and I think we get caught up with the city rather than understanding it is the philosophy, the religion, the commercial part, and the political part of Babylon that we're talking about. Because through the religious, the political, and the commercial part is where all the teaching came from. Melvin brought out a very good point this morning, if you listen to him. The apostles had to be taught. Now, how many of you were taught to tie your shoe? Yeah. How many of you were taught left and right? How many of you were taught your ABCs? <laughs> Only thing I'm trying to illustrate is this. Everything we learn, we're taught. We're taught. Now the question is, who are we taught by? That's the question. Who's doing the teaching? Everything that comes out of our mouth, our attitudes, our reactions to things, all that is taught and stored up here. And then it kind of like flows out in life. And we have to be the ones who manage the gate, what's coming out and what's going in. We have to manage that. But understand this, when we look at Revelation 17, 18, 19, 20, it's all talking about, in a sense, Babylon or the Antichrist that is going to come forth during this time of the tribulation if he's not already at work, and I believe he's already at work. Some of the things we're reading about, they just don't start in the tribulation. They're already starting. This woman was having this conversation with some young kids, and she was uh, sharing that what her last name is, and that uh, this is her last name, and then she told them what her maiden name was. And, and the one young girl said, you changed your name? And yes, I took my husband's name. And uh, her friend got into the conversation also, and her friend said, I'm not changing my name. And uh, she told the other little girl, you don't have to change your name either. You just get a man to live with you, and you don't have to take his name. Was that taught? Where did, where did a seven-year-old learn that? See, what we forget, as our children watch us even in life, they're learning. They're learning. We're constantly teaching by how we live. If we live contrary to God's word, they're going to assume that that's right or that's okay. 
because we're doing it. And it's so important that we live holy. That doesn't mean you're perfect. And we, we somehow have confused that by thinking, if I live a holy life, I'm a perfect person, and I can't be perfect. In foolishness. We're striving to live holy. We're striving to live holy. Now, Babylon is the cause of all unfaithfulness. Babylon is the cause of unfaithfulness. Now, there's some words I want you to catch along the way before we start into this. Oh, did I get there? Yeah. The word harlot or prostitute are used in respect of interaction with the teaching of idolatry and immorality. It's a spiritual adultery. It's a spiritual adultery. Not adultery between a man and a woman, but a spiritual adultery. Now, in this teaching, all things are hideous and shameful. In the teaching, everything is hideous and shameful. Let me give you an example. There's no more in our day to feel shame or guilt because you live with somebody because you say, I love them. So the I love you gives the approval to do the other. Never considering what God's word says because I love them. And because you love them, that's supposed to remove the shame or the guilt or the sin. And it teaches all things are hideous and shameful. However, shamefulness is removed to allow anything. Shamefulness is removed in order to allow anything to take place in our life. One time, and this is some years and there's nobody that's here today. I was taking the young lady back home. She had been away from home for about three or four days. And I was taking her back home. Well, the house was dark, so we assumed nobody was there. We walked into the home, and in the back room, Four or five people, couple women, couple men, everybody naked. Grabbed her, turned around, and just headed back out. Because her husband's involved in that too. Hideous. Hideous things. And we all may have done some hideous things in the past, but I hope that they've stopped. I hope somehow the Holy Spirit has grabbed hold of our heart and our minds and has taught us something different. Today, group sex and everything, that's a normal thing today. But it should not be the norm for Christians. It shouldn't be something Christians are involved in. But the shamefulness has been removed from it. So there's no guilt or shame about it. It's just life. Apostate 
is one who forsakes their religion for another. That's all a spot apostate is. You just change from one thing to another. And what we're going to see when it talks about the kings of a nation, I want you to understand kings are rulers. Kings are governing over groups of people. And oftentimes as the king believes and the king acts, so do the people follow. So we will see apostate without the word being there. Apostasy is to stand away from or abandon or fall away from what one believes. What you really believe you give up on to go follow this because of the wealth, because of the good looks, because of all these other things. Now understand, especially young women, all this false eyelashes is saying God didn't give you enough. And some of them you watch them, them things are so heavy, the eyes are going, because the muscles can't hold what's there. And then if God wanted your fingernails to grow 10 inches long, they would have been there. And then if God wanted people to see your crack, he would have made it up higher where it would be Now, it's to fall away from what you believe, what you've been taught. You let that go to follow something else. Babylon is in a mystery form, and it tells us that in the text. It's not a city, as we would think of as a city or a state. Now, understand something. Every teaching flows out of some area. So Calvin's teaching, mainly Calvin's teaching, all flows out of Germany. Calvinistic thinking flows out of Germany. There's a place that starts. And Babylon is used as the name for the philosophy and the teaching, the political, the, 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 the wealth that is there but it's not actually the city Babylon. But it functions like Babylon. The mystery is the religion, the religious system that originated in Babylon with the tremendous commercial trade. Now, guess what? A lot of foreign countries will tell you, I take American goods. I don't want American lifestyle. The Arabs will take all the goods from America, but they don't want American lifestyle. They don't want their women acting like American women. They don't want their men acting like American men. And a lot of countries are that way. When you travel the world, you'll find that American lifestyle is not highly respected. 
because all that is considered freedom in America that we do is the commercial and is the political power. Now understand something. Without political power, you cannot you cannot really establish a teaching. Follow me in this in thought. Two men, two women together, if it was not for political backing, it would not be flourishing like it is. If it was not for government saying, it's okay, it would not flourish like it is. Teaching flourish because government gives it a freedom and a space to be taught. What was taught in grade school for many of us, whew, well, we went back to grade school today and had to learn what some of these kids are learning and how early they're learning about sex and everything else. We all be shocked. So what our kids are learning is what is permitted by who? Government. So what is going to be taught during the tribulation and during this time in which Babylon is mentioned is that area that, in a sense, the political group allows to be taught, the religious group allows to be taught, and the commercial part finances it all. Now, we have to understand that there's a reason behind this. Satan is out to build an anti-Christian civilization. Satan is out to build an anti-Christian civilization. Do you feel a little bit of that now? Where Christians are being persecuted, where you're not allowed to say this, you can't put this up, you can't do this here. We are slowly coming to an anti-Christian society. It's starting now. And Satan's behind it. Now, the wine used, or that word wine that we're going to read about, have to understand wine. If you don't intake wine or alcoholic beverages, it will never influence you or what? Change your way of thinking or your mind. The drugs, the alcohol, you have to intake. So the wine is used as a symbol of something that you intake, but the wine is the teaching that you take in. And then it influences the mind and the thinking. And that's why it says she made many nations drunk on her wine. For many nations now are following the teaching that is taking place. And it's all based in 1 Timothy 4.1 where demons will teach where demons will teach. And you'll see in Revelations 18 where it talks about that Babylon has become a place 
of demons and demons teaching in a sense. If you have your Bible, let's go to Revelation chapter 17. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, speaking to John, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. And Babylon, or this teaching, is called the great prostitute because the great prostitute is the one that is luring people away from the teaching of God or the hearing of God's word. So the the great prostitute is somebody that is really dialed up just like men, boy, a woman dressed a certain way, she, she may take a second or third look by men. Why? They've been drawn to that what? To that attraction. But that attraction can always lead into destruction or trouble. And it tells us later in the verses how she was dressed. And it's the things that were attractive, that caught the eye. Ladies and men, what you put on do not define you. You define who you are, not so much your dressing. But your dress will allow other people to define you. You need to understand that. How you present yourself, men and women, are how other people will define you. But you need to define yourself before you ever step out into public. You need to know who you are and whose you are before you ever step out there. He goes on and he says, With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. Kings are the leaders of different countries. The kings are the ones who have the power to say what will be taught, what won't be taught, what we will do, and how we will live. And it says, these kings brought into her adultery, into her teaching, into that which would take people away from God. And it says, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. So the inhabitants had to also take this in. They had to drink of it. They had to receive it. It's not what goes in a man that defiles him. It's what? It's what comes out. But you're the one, when something comes in, you're the one that has to discern, is it right or is it wrong? You're the one that really got to search it out. You're the one who got to say, this is no good for me. This is good for me. The whole process of life is that many of our young people are not going to be destroyed by police shooting them. 
they're going to be destroyed by Satan, destroying their thinking and their ability to discern what is good or bad. What the police are doing is very mild to what Satan is doing. It's very mild. And he says, the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated. When somebody becomes intoxicated, are they in their right mind? In most cases, they're not. A drunk person would do what they never would do if they were not intoxicated. And that's what scripture is trying to illustrate to us. That here the people are intoxicated with this erroneous teaching that they're following. And they do harm to themselves. Any alcoholic will tell you, the main person I hurt was me. Now there's other people who have been hurt because of it. But the main person that was damaged and hurt is the person who took it in. And he simply says, the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. Then it moves on down for us that we see that this teaching is going to bring about a persecution even. And we need to recognize that. Now I don't know if my battery went or, or what. But, uh, the whole process... He says, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns, which will be explained later. The woman was dressed. Look how the woman is dressed. She's dressed in such a way to catch attention of people. Now remember, this is a teaching. The teaching is dressed up in such a way and presented in such a way that it catches the teaching of the inhabitants, of the people. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold. When... when when you young ladies see a man with all this gold on him, what do you think? My aunt used to have a saying for that. When you see somebody really dressed up, especially a man, and he got on them new shoes with them points, and he got his three-piece on and his hat on and hook, she said, he may look good on the outside, but he ain't got a dime in his pocket. Everything he's worth, he got on. Okay. And, and he says, she had this glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things. Look good, but in the inside, abominable things. And the filth of adulteries. And somehow we get caught up with that. 
we get caught up with some new single teachings that we never heard of. People, I can't say it enough. Learn this. You won't learn it all in a lifetime. You can tell me you read it through ten times. And you can read it the eleventh time and still learn. You can go back to this book over and over and over and over again. And learn something new. Never throw this away. I'm not saying don't read other things. But you compare everything you read with this. And this supersedes all the others. Now, it says, She held a gold cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adultery. Now, go over to Jeremiah 51, 7. Jumping a little bit here, but go over to 51 7 and we'll get it out the way. Because it basically says the same thing. He says, Babylon was a golden cup. In the Lord's hand, she made the world, she made the whole earth drunk. The nations drunk her wine. Or accepted her teaching. Therefore they were now gone what? Mad. Mad. Come back to Revelations. And look at chapter 18 with me. And look into verse 3. Well, yeah. In verse 3. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Look how... The Bible puts it maddening. You've lost your mind. You done went crazy. Because you leave God for something else. Now, we need to understand this teaching causes the Christians to be persecuted. What's a nominal Christian? What's a nominal Christian? How many of you like to have what they call fair weather friends? They're friends based on how the wind is blowing, what circumstances are going on. A nominal Christian is something like that to God. They're with God today, gone tomorrow. They're with God on Friday morning, but by Friday night, they're in Satan's camp. A nominal Christian has a religious tone, but not the heart. Not the heart. It's a religious tone that they follow. Whatever suits them is okay. It's the heart that God is after. 
why he wants to rule your heart. Why? The psalmist says the issues of life coming from where? From the heart. That God then is over every issue of life because he's ruling your heart. A nominal Christian is a religious person who is able to kill other Christians. Now, think with me about Pharisees. Pharisees had no problem putting anybody else to death that didn't believe like them. In this time during tribulation, because you don't believe in the image and you won't believe what the prophet or the false beast talks about, you can be killed because you will not worship the image or believe what the beast is teaching. Now who's going to kill you? Other so-called Christians, nominal religious individuals. Why? Because they now have left the original scriptures to believe something else. And they follow that. Now, oftentimes what we just say is this. The ones who killed us are unbelieving people. Well, when we say it like that, for the world, a Buddhist is not an unbelieving person. A Muslim is not an unbelieving person. A Mormon is not an unbelieving person. All those different religions in India, Hindu and all the others, they're not religious, they do believe in something. In the Christian circle, it may be understood by that statement, an unbeliever, because we're putting it, the unbeliever who doesn't believe in Christ. But when the world hears it, it don't make sense. Because you've got all these religious people. And one of the things that Satan does with this teaching, he incorporates everybody because Satan is out to please the world in a sense in this religiosity that they believe and they follow. Now catch this. Who is the only group saying that's not right? Who's the only group who's saying you need to stop that? Who's the only group saying this is the right way? That group called Christians. Now, if you get rid of the Christian voice, are you free to do anything you want to do? Are you free to do anything you want to do if you can silence the Christian voice. Go down to verse 6 now. In 17. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints. She was drunk how? With the blood of the saints. How many of you have ever read some of the martyrs and some of the Romans used to put Christians to death by burning them. But they 
gave light while they parted. That was their light by setting a Christian on fire at night. And we think, boy, that's hideous. Now understand this. They were partying and enjoying a good time. These folks are going to be partying and think it is great to put a Christian to death. There's going to be a time of rejoicing because they put the opposition, the voice that says it's wrong, the voice that says it's sin. They have silenced that voice. I saw the woman who was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Come on over into chapter 18. Come to verse 24. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who had been killed on the earth. In Babylon or because of this teaching of Babylon. Now, when you look at verse 20 also, you need to understand. Is it 20? No, it's not. I got it wrong there. Babylon may not be a city, but all the teaching has its starting point. And that's why it's called Babylon. Babylon is a teaching and a lifestyle that is taught, which we just went through from one through four. Kings admitted adultery with Babylon or with this teaching. Now, how she dressed, it attracts. And some teaching can be very attractive and luring. And the mystery is the religious, the political, and the commercial system all together. Go to 18, verses 2 and 3. When a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become home of what? Demons. Demons. Go to 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by who? Demons. What does it say in 18 here, she had become a home of demons. All the heresies, all the lies. Who's the father of lies? Satan. Satan. And the way in which she is dressed. Have no shame. A lot of people dress today, men and women, and they have no what? No shame. No shame. Now, Babylon symbolizes, and we need to understand this, they symbolize the wickedness of the world. The wickedness of the world. Go to Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. 
Look at Babylon in verse 19. Babylon, the jewel of kingdom, or the envy of kingdoms. Everybody want to be like Babylon. The glory of the Babylonian pride. Isn't that America today in this pride? We're this, we're that, we're... Somewhere we're going to have to admit what we have allowed legally has went totally against God's word. Babylon's pride will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. That's why he's not the city is not Babylon. Run over to Jeremiah 51.7. We want to get the rest of it. Jeremiah 51.7. Let's get the rest of this. Listen to what all it says. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drunk her wine or her teaching. Therefore they have now gone mad. Babylon was suddenly fallen and be broken. Wealth over her. Get bombed for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot, cannot be healed. Let us leave her and each go to his own land. Let us live. She can't be healed. And her so-called friends eventually turn on her. Think about what you have sometime, and you have an envious friend. They want what? What you have. And they will what? Turn on you. Go up into Revelation 17. Come to verse 15 and let's go down. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitutes sits are people and multitudes and nations and languages. Now following 16. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. Wait a minute. That's the one you learned all this hideous stuff from. See, you got to be careful what you teach, because what you teach may come back on who? On you. And he said, they will bring her to ruins. Well, that's where they got their wealth from. Why are you going to destroy the hand that fed you? They will bring her to ruins and leave her what? Naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now I catch you next verse. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Just a reminder what her position once was, but yet those in whom she taught they turn on her. 
They turn on her. Now, if you look at 18, 11 through 19, we're not going to do it, but it tells about the wealth and how the other kings bought into this. And even when she's destroyed, how they weep because the loss of wealth. Now, the next area I want to cover in the next five, ten minutes is this area. He once was, is not, and yet to come. Mentioned twice in 17. It's not talking about a resurrection. It's talking about Satan. Come down in verse 8. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the what? The abyss. That should tell you who it is. Satan. Satan is the only one in scripture that is said that is let loose from the abyss. No one else. Satan is let loose. Satan is. He's doing his work now. Then he's going to be locked up for a thousand years. Is not. And then yet to come, he's going to be let loose for a little while. Speaking of Satan. Is now. Is not. Because he's locked up for a thousand years. And then is to come. So, he tells us that in 8, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Let's go ahead into verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. Five kings, five nations has gone before in this time. One is. There's one ruling right now. One is. He's ruling now. What is he doing? Setting forth what is to come. Five have fallen. One is. Now we don't know who that one is. But that whatever it is. Is following after Satan. To implement an anti-Christ society to do away with the teachings of Jesus. And now is not is the, and I'm sorry, come back up a little bit. Five have fallen, one is, 
The other has not yet, what? Come. The one that's coming is the one who will leave during the time of the tribulation. And that's Satan himself. He leaves the tribulations, locked up a thousand years, let loose again, and leads again. And we'll see that in a moment. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a what? A little while. Now catch this in verse 11. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. Now, now catch this because it's so important here at the end. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The beast who once was and now is not is the eighth king. Once was, again, Satan. Not now is Satan. Locked up for a thousand years. Yet to come is Satan. He's called the eighth one, but he is also then a part of the seventh. Why? Because he's the one who influenced. He's the one who's a part, who leads this. Give me, give me just five more minutes. Go over into Revelation 19. I want you to go to verse 19 with me and come down, and then we're going to end up in uh, chapter 20. Them other verses you can look at. But in 19 he says, in chapter 19 he says, Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of the horse and his army. And that's the Lord, Jesus Christ. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophets who had performed the miracle signs on his behalf. You read that in Revelation 13. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. Now, they're not in the abyss. They're in the what? The fiery lake. Come a little further. The rest of them were killed with the sword and came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now come into 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the keys to what? The abyss. And holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. He sees him. Where is he going to put him? Not in the lake of fire, but in the abyss. And brought him for a thousand years, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the what? Abyss. And locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for what? For a short time. What did it say about those kings? That they would rule how long? A short 
time. There's eight, but there's only seven, and he belonged, the eighth one belongs to the seventh, and they will only rule for what? A short time. And then we have the final battle. And God wins. But what I want you to see is this. You're being taught by someone. You may get it off the radio. You may get it off TV. You may get it out of a book. You may hear it from a neighbor. You may hear it from a relative. But we're all being Now understand this. You have to discern what you're being taught. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it right or is it wrong? I have a good friend. And uh, boy, every now and then, boy, some words will fly out of his mouth. But scripture says in James, sweet water and bitter water cannot come out of what? Same faucet. See, God got to get control of that. There's things in all of our lives God, he has to get control of. In Pastor Brown, there are things that God and him are still battling with that God wants to rule over. And I have to release. There's things in your life that you and God are still battling over. And you have to be willing to what? Release. He wants to be Lord of your life. All of your life. Not part of your life. He wants to be the God who teaches you not some things, but all things. He'll never lie to you. He'll never deceive you. But he that knoweth truth and doeth it not, it is sin. What you do know, the question is, are you living? Because if you're not living what you do know, why would he give you more? But if you're really living what you do know, and you're trying to discipline yourself to what scripture says, God will give you more and more and more and more, but he'll never overfeed you. He'll never give you more than what you can handle. But you are the one who has to want more. That old song that used to be sung by Catherine Kuhlman, Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up until I want no more. That should become our cry. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill my vessel. Fill me up until I want no more. Father, We thank you and praise you, Lord, that, Lord, you warn us that there's going to be false teaching. You warn us that demons are going to teach. 
And Lord, we're the ones who have to be willing to say, is this of scripture or is this of Satan? Is this a lie or is this truth? And we're the ones who have to desire to stand on truth. Understanding that, yes, even the righteous will be persecuted. Understanding even the righteous sometimes will suffer for living a righteous life. But we live it for the glory of Christ. Lord, would you minister to us? Cause this message to gurgitate. Cause thoughts to come back. Let it not just end here. Would you continue to minister to your people? Would you continue to speak to your people? Would you continue to draw your people to your word and to yourself? Lord, would you do and glorify yourself? In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, all because of Jesus.